Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversation. So I just finished talking with Jim Messina, Barack Obama's winning 2012 campaign manager. Boy, this guy knows politics. He knows the numbers, the states, the strategies, the personalities. And he offers this great mix of numbers and narrative. He's, he's like a walking master class. The data doesn't matter without the story. And if you've got a campaign message but no numbers to get to 270 electoral votes, well, that doesn't matter much either then. For background, just in case you don't know, before the 2012 Obama for America campaign, Jim served as Obama's deputy chief of staff. Before that, he worked on Capitol Hill. He almost literally grew up running campaigns from his home state in Montana uh, during college to Alaska, New York, and more. Today, the Messina Group helps run campaigns around the world. Anyhow, we had a great discussion on the changing demographics in America and of American voters and how that should be helping Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. Given that, I asked him to help me understand why is the race still so close and Trump has such good numbers in some key swing states. Jim's got excellent analysis on that and more. Also, he comes across as a really nice guy. Now, I've got to warn you, Jim's a bit on the quiet side in this conversation. The connection is not the greatest. He was calling from an airport lounge, and I think he just really didn't want to disrupt the people around him. That'll teach me to talk with nice guys. Also, the cell service, I know this is shocking, but the cell service wasn't the best. However... When you've got the campaign manager of Barack Obama's 2012 campaign on the line and he's giving you color and insights into that election and the current one and Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and demographics and his technology conversations with Steve Jobs, Eric Schmidt and Steven Spielberg, well, you forgive a couple of can you hear me now moments. I think you're going to like it. And with all of the things that he's done, U.S. presidential campaign manager working in the White House, Capitol Hill, international elections, at the end, you'll hear the part of his life that really got me jealous. But before we begin the conversation, some questions. Who will win the White House? What can we expect from the upcoming debates? And what about the House and Senate? People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News's Bob Schieffer called it the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver noted, few political analysts have a longer track record of success than the tight-knit team that runs the Cook Political Report. Little wonder the New York Times called it, quote, a newsletter that both parties regard as authoritative. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Just go to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire. And now here's my conversation with Jim Messina. So, Jim, you wrote this open letter on Twitter this week. Dear panicking Dems, he wrote, she will win. Stop emailing me, give her some money and head to a swing state. Did it work? Have people stopped emailing you? <laughs> well, um, yes and no. I had lots of friends say, okay, help me figure out which state to go to. And, uh, but, you know, this is the, the bedwetting time of the election. We're under seven weeks, and I know everyone's nervous, but you know, there's a, a good way to handle it and a not-so-good way to handle it, and freaking out is not-so-good way to handle it. So I was uh, in a moment of 
in a moment of peak, I was, uh, you know, trying to tell my friend Wilson, "What you stay focused, man." Okay, and and just to be clear, you were you were talking to your friends. You weren't talking to yourself, right? I mean, there's no there's no freak out in the in Messina world, right? No, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> we run sixty two thousand simulations every election every night, and think about the swing states and think about all these things. And you know, I think I think she will win a very competitive election, but you know, I, I think people need to to spend a little less time freaking out and a little more time helping her. Well, so so let's get to that. I mean, in a very close election, you say. I mean, that that kind of is the question that so many folks are asking. It's a question, in a sense, that Hillary Clinton asked this week when she said, you know, you might wonder why I'm not uh, winning by 50 points or whatever it was exactly that she said. Well, you know, so if you run 62,000 simulations uh, a day or hourly, or why is this race so close? Well, a couple of things. One, you know, we do work in nine or ten countries around the world. We've won big elections in places like the UK and Spain and et cetera. And what you see is the United States is now the most partisan country in the world. There are less persuadable voters in the U.S. than any other place I have seen, only between 8 and 12 percent, depending on what election cycle you're in, are actually available to both parties. Uh, and so it doesn't matter who gets the Republican nomination it was always going to be close. And in this election, you know, you have two, uh, two nominees of their party who, you know, are, are, have been damaged by various attacks. And, you know, it makes total sense that this thing was going to be close. It just is what it is. And uh, I should uh, just note that uh, that the merit of what you're saying is coming through loud and clear. I know you're in an airport lounge, so you're just a, a little bit fuzzy. But given the fact that you uh, you know run campaigns in you know so many countries around the world, I expect that catching you you know not in an airport lounge or not on a plane is um, pretty rare. So you know, <laughs> thanks thanks for dialing in you know from from where you are on on this point though that you just said you know it, it didn't matter who was going to run. Is that true? I mean, you, you know, when, when I think that when Democrats and Hillary supporters, and again, to a certain extent, Hillary herself with that quote this week, look at this particular race and this particular time, I mean, you, you got to look at the fact that the person running, uh, you know, on the Republican side is Donald Trump. It, you know, it is a person who's, you know, saying the things that he's saying. Can you separate it like that? I mean, does it not? Is the question of it being so close? Is it that it doesn't matter who, or, or doesn't the question that it, it is Donald Trump and it is a person who's saying things that he's saying, I mean, isn't, isn't that part of what makes people wonder, you know, why, why isn't she running away with it? Well, look, anyone who thinks that you know, she should be running away with it is just not all of history very much, so especially not the, the last few years. Um, you know, it is true that Donald Trump is the best nominee for Democrats that the Republican Party could have ever uh, nominated. I feel great about their decision to nominate this guy. But it doesn't matter who it is. The selection was always going to be close and competitive. You know, 2012 was close and competitive. Obviously, 2004 and 2000 were basically tied races. Um, we are a partisanly divided country, and this election is was going to be close. Um, you know, Republicans decided to, to shoot themselves a bit in the foot by, uh, by nominating Trump, but it doesn't matter. Um, Trump could win, too. 
given what you know about the American electorate and the way that you've, you know, studied the, the, the ideas and the motivations and, and, you know, what, what only, you know, what not only gets us behind a candidate, but then inspires us to go to a poll and, and then, you know, to, to a, you know, polling place, you know, to go vote and, and then pull the lever. Um, I mean, you built the Obama coalition, you and, and others, of course, but you were, uh, you know, obviously the, you know, the, a key player, you know, the campaign manager of, of building the Obama coalition. Um, and the Obama coalition is not maybe as full behind uh, Hillary Clinton right now, certainly, and I'm thinking mostly about the um, youth vote. Um, what's happened in your mind is, you know, with the youth vote? I mean, you increased the youth vote in 2012 for Obama over 2008. Now that's just a, a place where, where Hillary Clinton is not um, getting the traction uh, that, that she would expect or that she would like. What, what's, what's happened there? Well, I think it's a it's a, a question of whether she will get the support or not. You know, in 2012, um, the national media spent the entire time telling me that uh, youth weren't excited, youth weren't motivated the second time, it wasn't going to happen. And then in the battleground states, we got a higher youth turnout than 2008. And so uh, I think, you know, in the end, ground game matters and turning people out matter. And, um, and so I think they really have some talented operatives who I know who are going to be able to do that. So I don't, I'm not ready to say she's not, but to your brother point, you know, people say to me all the time, can she replicate the Obama coalition? And the answer is no, she's not Barack Obama. She's a different candidate. She'll do better among some demographics, not as good among others. And it's not about Barack Obama. It's about race to 270 electoral votes and how you put together the, uh, the right coalition to, to get there. And, and that's what this is about. So, you know, I, I think that as she looks forward, as you correctly uh, pointed out, Chris, I've spent, you know, the last decade of my life thinking about the Electoral College and thinking about how to do this. And, you know, people don't realize how much it's changed. When I was growing up in politics, Republicans had won five out of six popular votes um, and uh, and kind of had an inside track in the Electoral College. Then Bill Clinton came in and brought my party back to the center. And, and since then... We have won five out of six popular votes and four out of six um, uh, electoral colleges. In part, that is because of demographics, right? When Bill Clinton ran for re-election in 1996, 20 years ago, 13% of all those in that election were minorities. In this election, that number will be 30%. That is a really big increase. George Bush got, you know, somewhere around 44 to 46% of Latino voters in both elections, 44 in 2000, about 46 in the states in 2004. Uh, Mitt Romney got 27% in 2012. Donald Trump's right now below that. His ability to get to an electoral college victory um, says he's got to move some of those numbers. Um, and so, you know, this continues to evolve here. And if you're the president's campaign manager, which, you know, I had the amazing um, experience of being, you spend a lot of time trying to think about the different pathways to 270 electoral votes. And it starts with a real demographic understanding of the American electorate. And on that, I would argue that Donald Trump doesn't understand. It is wildly different to win a Republican primary than it is to put together 270 electoral votes to become president of the United States. 
you know, I say to, to the Democrats all the time, you've got to follow Trump on Twitter and, and watch him on social media. He's the best I've ever seen. And, but that, you know, swing voters aren't on Twitter. They're not thinking about it that way. They're looking at it and thinking, you know, which one of these people do I trust with my future? In 2012, when I was President Obama's campaign manager, every, you know, so often in the middle of the night, Bill Clinton would call me up and always gave me amazingly good advice. And one night he called me and said, you know, Jim, all presidential elections are always about the future. And the person who, who grasps to that future um, debate and walks the country through the vision of where they're going to take the country will win that election. And, you know, that's why he put Bob Dole in the kind of bridge to yesterday box. And it's in part why we put Mitt Romney and you know, going back to the failed policies of the past. And you know, President Obama continued to speak to, to those things in both of his campaigns to the future. Hillary Clinton did that amazingly well in her convention speech. I thought that was the best I've ever seen her. I think that's you know, what we need to see from her uh, on the debate. And I, I want to ask you about the debates, but and so I I hear you and I agree. And that that convention, she came off of that convention, and and particularly you know after the Republican convention, and that was where you really did start to see the momentum build. And and I think on the Democratic side, expectations build. I mean, what, whatever the upshot was showing, or five thirty eight at that point, in your own numbers, I'm sure were showing you know something similar. The probability of her victory at that point was you know in the it was, I think it hit ninety percent at one time, and obviously it's much lower now. And so. As I think about what you're saying about the demographics, so you look at those demographics and you look at the rise of the parties that made up the Obama coalition, the Hispanic voters, the black voters, the young voters, women voters, and, and you say, yeah, Trump doesn't have uh, you know, great numbers in those areas. And yet when you look at the – and I think I'm, I'm, I'm surely mixing you know, numbers and, and, and so please help me make sense of this because then when you look at the swing state, some of the swing state data right now, he's polling better in swing states. So if it is about getting to 270, if it is that the demographics have moved in a, in a Democratic Hillary Clinton direction – but he's doing okay-ish, if not pretty well, and leading in some of these swing states, according to some of the polls. Where's the where's the split, and and how does you know where does that leave where does that leave the election? Where does that leave the vote? Well, look, a couple of things. First of all, anyone who reads daily polls and on uh, my staff and the Obama campaign got fired because they're all garbage. And our garbage for various, you know, very simple demographic reasons that you and I understand. And so I don't think any of these polls matter at all. And you saw that with the Gallup poll in 2012. They had Obama behind the whole time and we were ahead. You saw it in Brexit last month in the UK. Um, these are all garbage. What matters, as you just said, is how you get to 270 electoral votes. And there it is really a series of what I call governor's races in these states. It is, you know, eight to ten states that really, really matter. And the coalitions are very, very different. And you can't sort of take a broad brush to your point. Let me give you some examples. Latino voters in Florida look way different than Latino voters in Nevada. You have more Caribbean Americans. You know, there's distinct uh, ethnic groups like Cubans, 
traditionally voted very differently than the rest of what we consider Latino voters. Um, in Nevada, you have a much different electorate, so the way you're going to get votes, the way you're going to talk to voters, the way you're going to think about the coalition really is very different. And you have states like Iowa. Iowa, there's not very many minority voters. It is a much wider state. Um, and the things you and I just talked about in African-American and Latinos don't matter as much. They still matter. There's still important voters there who, you know, will be swing voters, but it's different to get there. You know, Trump has a difficult electoral map because of the challenges you talked about and also because he's tanking with some of these key constituencies. Let's take Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is the state the Republicans haven't carried since 1988. Trump almost assuredly has to have it, right? And is a state of George Bush through the kitchen sink at twice. Mitt Romney, John McCain tried very hard. Um, Hillary's got a big lead there. There is a state with almost one in five voters African American. And so Trump being under 5% African American in Pennsylvania makes the math incredibly hard. You know, I thought it was interesting. Um, Trump's new campaign team, who I will give some high remarks to, they put him on message, they put him on a teleprompter, they've shut him up a little bit. You know, they came in and immediately said, we're just going to jack the white vote up, and that's the way you're going to get there. And if you were running Ronald Reagan's campaign in 1980 or, or George Bush's campaign in 1988, you can do that. But now in some of these states, in Virginia and Colorado and Nevada and Pennsylvania, there just aren't enough white voters to do that. And eventually you have to appeal to some of these demographics where he's just tanking. Part of what you did in, in 2012, and, and I've talked with Teddy Goff about this, as well as Republicans like Stuart Stevens, is you are, I mean, among the technology, that intersection between technology and getting out the vote and the demographic and, and all of that. I mean, you, you, you know, what you did in 2012 uh, just took everything to, uh, you know, a next level. Um, and, and one of the key places, of course, was Facebook, and you were there, and the Republicans weren't. I mean, Stuart Stevens has, has said as much. They just they just weren't there. Um, you, you just said, you know, you said Trump is uh, so good at Twitter, and look at what he's doing on Twitter. Is is that where it's at? What from a from a technology point of view? What is the innovation? Are you seeing an innovation in this? campaign? Is it a continuation of 2012? And, and is that an aspect of the campaign that, that Trump is just maybe, quote, winning because he happens to be really um, uh, entertaining at that medium? Well, it's interesting. You know, at the beginning of the campaign in 2011, I went all over the country and talked to the smartest people in technology and media and film and just tried to learn not where things were then, but where they were going. And I sat with amazing people like Steve Jobs and Eric Schmidt of Google and Steven Spielberg and the Gates folks. And and what we came to realize is a couple things. Number one, the average American now sees over a million images a week um, online, on television, as they walk around. And the way they parse through that is no longer TV ads. The way they parse through all that and try to figure out what's true and what's not true is really what their friends and family say to them. Your validation structure is really more people you trust. People who trust you on politics follow your podcast. Um, people who like you will follow your Twitter feed and follow you on Facebook. Um, in 2012, we decided to take that to, to the extremes. 
you know, I said this to the president when he first asked me to run the reelect. I said, look, I need you to promise me you're not going to run the same campaign you did last time. And he looked at me and said, Messina, what are you talking about? And I said, well, everything has changed. In 2008, we thought Twitter was a stupid technology that would never go anywhere. So we sent out, I think, two tweets on Election Day. You know, four years later, we figured out we lost the first debate to Mitt Romney. In the eighth minute of the debate, when Twitter reporters on Twitter decided Obama looked, you know, reserved and not, didn't have energy and Romney was killing him. And so we had to up our game, too. And part of what we figured out is as people reach out to their friends and family, they do it on social media. They do it primarily on Facebook. Let me give you some statistics. Barack Obama became the first president since Richard Nixon in 1972 to win a majority of the undecided on the final weekend. Typically, if you are a uh, swing voter and you haven't decided to vote for the incumbent president, you're not going to vote for him at the very end. But a majority of voters who were undecided decided to vote for him. And we went afterwards and asked them why. Uh, over 80% said they had been contacted by a friend or family member on email, on social media, and asked to vote for Barcelona. That personalization is incredibly important. I think too much people get focused on the tactic delivery system. You know, in 2008, it was Facebook. In 2012, people talked about Twitter. You know, now young voters are more on Snapchat than they are anything else. And those tactics will change. You and I are old enough to remember when AOL was dominant. Um, but what won't change is the, the ongoing battles between the two parties to have data, to have data that predictively predicts people's behavior in a way that matters. And then, way more importantly, to have a message that inspires people. Barack Obama didn't win in 2012 because he had an amazing campaign. I think he did have an amazing campaign, but that campaign was about his vision and his excitement and his ideology. And, and there are people who wanted to, to, to be part of that. You know, these are just facts. I'm not picking on anyone, but John Kerry had about 250,000 people who volunteered for his presidential campaign in, in 2004. Eight years later, in 2012, we had over 3 million volunteers. And that's 10 times the amount of volunteers. Some of that was we got better at figuring out how to talk to volunteers and how to use technology to get people excited. But a lot of it was because they wanted to help Barack Obama get reelected president of the United States because they believed in him. And that combination is incredibly important. We just helped the prime minister of Spain get reelected at the end of June. Very different country, very different news sources, et cetera. But same thing, final week of the campaign, more people got made their decisions on social media because of your friends and family. Um, that is changing politics in a good way, I think. TV ads are less important. Um, not, not not important, because everything's important. But, you know, this validation structure of what your friends and family say really does matter, and Barack Obama's proof of that. Knowing President Obama the way you do, uh, I assume you are not surprised uh, that he is as active and as out there and as, frankly, direct as he has been. I mean, it, it, to an outsider, I've never met the president. Um, it, it feels personal for him. Uh, it, is it? Well, look, he, you know, I was a deputy chief of staff for the first two years, and, and he fought unbelievably hard 
to make some of these historic changes in healthcare, in Don't Ask, Don't Tell, in saving the American economy, in saving the uh, Detroit car makers, in expanding education, and getting rid of the banks and student loans. These all were huge battles that were historic victories. And I think he feels like it is absolutely important not to roll that stuff back. And I don't think you know Trump could be any more clear that he would roll all of it back. And, you know, I know all of us, president included, just think that is an untenable outcome. And so, you know, I'm really proud of him and I'm proud of Michelle, too, for, you know, putting it all on the line. People forget sometimes that the most popular political figure in America is Michelle Obama by 20 points. And, you know, she gave what was the highest reviewed speech of the Democratic Convention. And she's on the road, too. And, you know, they have, there's a lot of presidents in their final year who just kind of say, okay, now it's up to the next generation. I'm going to sit back and let this fight happen. And the president understands that it's it's more than a contest between two people. It's a, it's a continuation of a bunch of policies that have really worked. Do you think the first lady reminds her husband that she's uh, got him by 20 points? <laughs> well, I was I was there one time when he came off and said, uh, after giving a speech, and said, I, didn't, I thought I did really well. And she goes, I'm way more popular than you are. And everybody <laughs> laughed. Yeah. Um, you know, watching her evolution, I was with her when she was practicing for her 2008 speech. And, you know, she was so nervous about it. And you remember that was when the New York New Yorker magazine put her on the cover in the camo. And there was talk about whether she was a help or a hindrance to the ticket. And, you know, she was just, she was wanted to be a wife and a mother. And eight years later, she gave the most amazing speech I've ever seen her give. Um, and watching that evolution is one of the, the most interesting and kind of satisfying things I've done in the last eight years. Yeah, well, th- that speech got uh, you know everyone who saw it on, on all sides. I mean that 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 transcended uh, party. Uh, maybe maybe we ought to get her now on uh, with uh, Zach Galifianakis. Maybe she'll do the next uh, between two ferns. <laughs> She'd did you, be great at that too. Did, did you see the one with the, you saw the Hillary Clinton one? I assume. I did. I yeah. did. I did. Yeah, that that'll get that'll get her with uh, young voters now. Well, I mean, you know, again, it's a one tactic. You yeah, do more than just one thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, did you see Michelle Obama in the carpool karaoke? Oh, fantastic. Um, yes. Kind of yeah. 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 I just can't believe nobody thought about that before uh, 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 James Corden did the, uh, you know, singing in a car. It's, I mean, that he's getting everybody. I mean, everyone wants to now line up and sing in a car with this guy. It's, and it's always, uh, <laughs> it's always terrific. It's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's good. So, I, I, while I, I can't let you go without just asking you, um, you know, we, we've got the debates coming up, um, and interesting. You you mentioned so you said earlier that uh, uh, Bill Clinton uh, had called you. I think you had said back in in two thousand and twelve, um, and I guess that he was more in in advice offering mode at that point. He he wasn't. Uh, you know, he didn't have an actual dog in that fight. I mean, aside. You know, his, his wife wasn't running, I guess, and he wasn't running. Um, have, have you talked to him during this campaign? Yeah, I have. I've seen him a little bit. You know, I'm on the Super PAC side, um, but I've seen him at a couple of events. And, um, you know, I, I think it is 
those of us who are married understand that it is very different to give advice to a candidate than it is to someone you love more than anyone and is your spouse. And I have to believe that's a, a more difficult role um, than, you know, calling up a boss campaign manager and giving him some really good advice. That said, you know, he is the most amazing retail politician I've ever met um, and a really amazing political operative um, who is as good and gives as good advice as you think he does. And so I'm sure he's, you know, talking to her. But I also know that, he, that you know, I mean, it's her campaign. It's not Bill Clinton on the art science. And um, uh, very early when I went to work in 2008, at the time, Senator Obama said to me, remember, it's my campaign and my name, and we're going to do it, you know, my way in a way that's reflective of me. And, you know, a lot has changed since he ran 20 years ago. This is her campaign, not his. And on the point of uh, giving advice to spouses, if you do figure out how to, you know, properly give advice to spouses without getting some type of uh you know, slug or, or punch, you know, back in return after the, I'll read that book. I'll buy that book. You know, I think that could actually make, <laughs> that could make your name. I mean, you know, running, running presidential campaigns, a lot of people can do that, but figuring this one out, you would really, you'd really make a name for yourself. If, if, uh, <laughs> so to, to, uh, start to close this out to, if, if, uh, Hillary Clinton were to call you for advice, which she, I guess would not because you're on the PAC side and maybe for other reasons, but going into this debate, um, what, w- what would you be telling her, uh, you know, about this debate? I saw you just tweeted out a, uh, throwback Thursday from, uh, you know, going into the third debate and that was, you know, uh, president Obama and, and, uh, John Kerry laughing and, and others in the photo, but now going into this first debate and there's obviously got to be a nervousness and, and it's, it's, you know, everyone's going to be watching. What would your advice be? Look at the camera and tell the American people where you're going to take them. The single most important thing as her husband told me was, you know, where are you going to take these people? What's the future look like? And it's so easy to, to get obsessed with the nine million crazy things that Donald Trump says. But in the end, that's kind of baked into the cake. The voters are going to turn in on Monday is what's your plan? Who are you? What are your values? And I would do exactly what she did in the Democratic Convention. And, you know, it's harder because you got Trump punching you. But um, if she can, if it was walk out of there knowing clearly what she will do, uh, she will be the next president active. Thank you. And, uh, Jim, I know now in, in your role running uh, the Messina Group, you, as you stated, you're all over the world, Spain. Uh, I guess you, you have it on Axelrod. You won the, uh, the U.K. vote. Uh, when, when he would be, so I'm, I'm sure you remind him about that, but, uh, all your travels, all the places that you go, um, you still haven't found any place more beautiful than Montana, have you? No, in fact, I'm sitting in an airport flying there right now. Are you? So I'm, I spend the weekend with my wife and, uh, the fall colors have changed and they'll give me two days before we all get ready for the debate on Monday. Uh, well, hold, I hold, tell the plane to wait. I'm on my way and, uh, we'll head down to the Gallatin <laughs> River or, uh, maybe up to Flathead Lake and, and spend a little time. I'm, I'm in. I'm in for Montana. Uh, Jim, thanks. Thanks Perfect. a lot. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks. Have a good flight. Bye. 
Well, that was my conversation with Jim Messina. Like I said, not the best sound quality, and I'm sorry for that. But as I was listening to him, I kept thinking to myself, horrendous audio, but man, this content is great. And I swear, if he had told me what flight he was on, it would take nothing for me to meet him in Montana, do some fishing, and watch the debate on Monday. That'd be a great weekend. Anyhow, my great thanks to Jim for joining me and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Mm-hmm.